today we are starting a new series uh, on the book of Hosea. And, you know, just, just to be honest, as a teaching team, sometimes we talk about different things and we go, it doesn't feel super spiritual. Let me just say that. So we sit down and we talk about, you know, we just did our credo series. That was really for us. It was really awesome. Um, but it was topical. And so we said, okay, this, here's the real spiritual reason we're doing Hosea. We said, okay, let's, let's just study a book of the Bible. And we all said, okay, well, what should we study? And uh, Jeff Gokey said, Hosea. And we all said, okay, that seems good to us and to the Lord. Let's do Hosea. Um, so we started studying Hosea. And not that we don't pray as a team. We do. We, we really seek the Lord. Um, but what I've seen time and time again, something that feels so haphazard becomes something really personal and really purposeful. And the Lord is bringing something through these series that a lot of times surprise us. And so Hosea, I think as we approached it, we had the same attitude. We're going, okay, Lord, this is not just a good idea from us. There is something that you're leading us into. What are you saying through this book? I will say after months of reading this book, I have definitely come to this place where I understand why we are supposed to be going through this as a church. This feels very prophetic for the times that we live in. Um, and you guys are going to find that out pretty soon. The, the book of Hosea is one of those things, when you dive into the history, the culture, the, the, the moment that Hosea is speaking uh, to the northern kingdom of Israel, really, I just couldn't help but draw parallels to what's going on here culturally to what's going on here culturally. Um, and as I was going through it, I was going, Lord, this is for us. This is for us right now to gain something from you for the times that we live in. So you guys ready to dive in? Okay. So like we did with Galatians, last time I, I, I kicked off our series, I said, I'm going to go through the entire book of Galatians in 30-ish minutes. Um, same thing today. We're going to go through the book of Hosea, um, but, but we're going to highlight a handful of things that really I felt like the Lord was highlighting for us as we go through the process of studying this book. Um, but I really want us to hone in on the historical background of this book. And I know that sounds nerdy and wicked boring, but it's not. I promise you, it's actually really, really awesome. Uh, but the, the backdrop of Hosea, Hosea is called the deathbed prophet. Um, he is coming into the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, he, is, he is writing this book that's about a 25-year span of his life. Uh, that is about 200 years after the split of Israel. And if you remember, uh, after the, the reign of, of Solomon... The, the, the country of Israel split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Hosea is living in the northern kingdom a couple hundred years after the split has happened. Um, and the thing that I really want us to hone in on is this. Hosea is speaking to a culture that has had a long season of comfort and wealth and relative peace. And Hosea is coming into this culture that has been used to a lot of comfort and peace and things going like they expect it to go. And he's going, hey, just so you know, things are about to change. Things are about to shift. And they have no idea. Some people, when you're looking at the, the time frame of Hosea, some people say within months of Hosea finishing this book, Assyria comes in and conquers the northern kingdom. So he's writing to a people going, look, you're very comfortable, you're very distracted, but you need to watch out because things are about to change. So Hosea is a couple hundred years after Solomon. He's about 700 years and change before the life of Jesus. 
And as I was going through this book, I really started to highlight, this seems like there's like four cultural things that are happening in the Northern Kingdom. Hosea refers to the Northern King Kingdom as Ephraim. So whenever he says Ephraim, and if you guys read this on your own, you should be reading this on your own, just as a side note. Read through Hosea on your own whenever you can this week. It will really help you to get grounded a little bit more in this. But every time he talks about Ephraim, he is referring to the Northern Kingdom of Israel. And as he's speaking to this, to this culture, he's speaking to this certain time frame, there are four cultural things that are going on in the culture. And I wrote them down uh, as kind of succinct statements. And I've written down the, the references in Hosea. So if you're nerdy and you want to go and look at all the references, I've put them up there. Uh, so you could do that. Pull your phone out. That's okay. Um, you could do that. But let's, let's dive in. Number one. Hosea comes after a time of great prosperity and peace. In chapter 10, and I'm going to give you this other little heads up. I'm going to be bouncing around this book a lot. So if you want to try to follow with me, awesome. If you want to try to like listen later and follow along with me, I don't blame you because I'm going to be bouncing around. Uh, but chapter 10, verse 1 uh, Hosea, as he's talking to the people of Israel, he says, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. And the more the fruit increased, the more altars he built, meaning altars to other gods. The more altars he built. As the country improved, he improved his pillars. Again, a reference to building, uh, building things toward idols. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. So Hosea is coming into a culture that's very comfortable, um, very much committed to, uh, to, to that comfort and the, the lasting part of it. So the luxuriant vine, this is this thing, this luxuriant vine is Israel enjoying peace and prosperity. They've got full bank accounts. They've got full stomachs. They're used to that. And he's going, look, this comfort is distracting you from God. This comfort is pulling you away from God. And this leads us to the second thing that's going on in the culture. This peace and prosperity has now given way to moral decay, idolatry, ritualistic perversion, deception, violence, and even anarchy. This is one of those moments when I was reading this, I was like, this, this feels like our time, right? Like, I know for you in this room, it's not news for you to go, really? Is America decaying morally? That's strange, you know? Like, no, no, I know. It's like it's in the background of our mind all the time. Like, we, we feel it. We see it. Sometimes we can stand it. Sometimes we can't. But we know that something is shifting. And Hosea is written to this sort of culture that's going on. And chapter uh, chapter 4, it says this, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land, which is interesting. There is swearing, lying, murdering, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. God is going, look, you have become very comfortable. You've become so comfortable that you've forgotten who I am. You've become so comfortable that you don't need me anymore. 
And these are the things that are shifting in the culture. There is this, this sense that as Hosea is writing this, they've enjoyed this sort of peace and prosperity, but the culture is shifting and he's paying attention to these things. And there's violence. Uh, I said the word anarchy. Really, there's a part in there that where, they say, where they say, I don't need the Lord and I don't need a king. Like we're fine without any of that. Like there is just this sense that the, the, the rails are starting to come off of all the things that have kept this culture grounded. Gallup poll, I I read this recently, says that 50% of Americans say that the moral values of America are poor. 78% think they are getting worse. That was actually higher than I thought. I I thought maybe more people were thinking, oh, we're fine. But no, 78% of Americans are going, I see this thing going worse. When the grace of God is not humbly received, but it's pridefully expected, the morality of the people decay quickly. Eventually, a decayed people become a depraved people who don't understand the need to repent at all. This culture is shifting. It's starting to go from, okay, we we had grounding in the Lord. Things are shifting. Idolatry, all these things are building up more and more and more. And God is going, look, you need to be careful. You need to be careful. And this gives way, this is number three, the third thing I noticed in the culture. This gives way to a forgetting of God, a faux repentance based on a loss of comfort, a demon-possessed culture. Yikes, I know, a little intense. I'll come back to that. A demon-possessed culture and a priesthood who turns a blind eye to this reality. Um, Years ago, and I've talked about this before, um, I used to be a part of a, a, a Christian tour that we would travel all around. And one of the things about being on a Christian tour, or any tour for that, for that matter, is you show up as average Joe person, and you show up behind the scenes, and everyone is dressed very cool. They're all impeccably dressed. And every time I'd go out on tour, I'd go, oh, man, I feel so self-conscious. Like, you got new shoes, or, you know, like, everybody's got cool stuff, and and so one day I, uh, I was doing what I normally did before I went on tour. I was like, I need to buy like just one or two new, th- new clothing items before I go out, you know. Um, and I went to H&M and, and I'm not uh, advocating for fast fashion or anything, but I found myself in H&M and I saw this faux leather jacket that I was like, that's cool. I was like, that is a cool jacket. And I thought, well, it's an H&M, you know, it was probably like eight bucks or something ridiculous like that. And I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that jacket, you know. And I wore it for a few tours. And uh, toward the end of the, the life of this jacket, I was wearing it. And uh, I hugged a friend of mine who was kind of backstage. He's like, hey, Ryan, you know, it's good to see you. And as he's hugging me, he starts touching my jacket. And he goes, hey, you know, he's like feeling, he's like, this is nice. It's a cool jacket, you know. And he asked a question I never wanted anyone to ask. He's like, where'd you get this? And uh, I said, oh, um, well, you know, I, uh, I got it at H&M. <laughs> and he kind of like, you could see his face just like get disappointed. You know, he's like, oh, oh, cool. Well, that's cool. You know, it looks good, you know. And he was like, like comforting me, knowing I spent eight bucks on the jacket. And he thought it was like a $500 jacket. Uh, needless to say, I just never wore that jacket again. <laughs> I couldn't risk the question again, you know. Why? Because none of us like faux leather. We don't like fake things. We don't like things pretending to be something that they're not, you know. 
Uh, my son has gotten really into like sneaker culture. And if you like sneakers, you know, like Yeezys or whatever, there is this whole thing that if you buy a used pair of Jordans or Yeezys or something, they send it to somebody else first who verifies it. Like they've gone to school, some sort of weird schooling to learn about like fake sneakers. And then they check the box and go, these are authentic. And then they send them to you. And this is, this is the world we live in. Why? Because we don't, like, we don't like fake leather. We don't like fake Yeezys. And we don't like fake people. Neither does God. God does not like fake people. And this is one of those things, I wrote that phrase very purposefully, faux repentance. It's like fake leather. It's close, but it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. In chapter 7, chapter 7, this is one of the, one of the first, my first passes through this. I underlined this like crazy. I was like, this is interesting. Chapter 7 in verse 14, he says this. They do not cry to me from the heart but they wail upon their beds for grain and wine. They gash themselves. So the grain and the wine just represents good food and delicious wine and these sort of luxuriant things. Uh, they rebel against me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not upward. They return, but not upward. I underlined that immediately. I was like, interesting. So the, the idea is this. The people that are starting to lose their comforts, they come back to the Lord, not because they want to come back to the Lord, but because they're losing comforts. They're coming back going, I really miss my wine and my good food. And he's like, you're wailing on your beds instead of crying out to me. And you're returning to me in sort of a fake manner. You're not coming back authentically. Going, Lord, I'm sorry. I just want you. I just want you. And the cry of Hosea, if you want, like, I've talked about a cheat code, you know, for Galatians. The cheat code for Hosea is return to the Lord genuinely. This is the call of this book. The call of this book is come back to me. Not because you're losing your stuff. Not because you're getting scared. But because you want me. And you know that I am better. I don't mean Ryan. I mean... Jesus, <laughs> come back to me. This is the call of the Lord. This is what Hosea is saying. And I said a phrase, demon-possessed culture. I know for some of you, you're like, that sticks in my cross. So let me just at least address that. Um, Hosea chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 4, it says this, the deeds, uh, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, for the spirit of whoredom is within them. I know that word whoredom is like, is, I've thought about this a lot. I'm like, Lord, is there a better way to say that? That's, a, that's, that's just what Hosea says. So we're going to just say what Hosea says. The spirit of whoredom, the, the idea is this, that, the, that the, the culture of Hosea in Hosea's time is giving themselves over to other gods, Baal, the gods of the Canaanites, like wherever they can give themselves away to another god, they are doing that. And he's saying Look, this is not just, okay, I'm just, th this is something that I was just talking about uh, uh, between these services. A lot of times we look at our culture right now and we go, that's crazy, right? Have you, have you done that recently? Like you hear something in the news, you go, that's crazy. You know, like 
so-and-so is doing this thing, or they pass this law, or this thing is going on. You go, that's crazy. <laughs> I actually just said it probably 20 minutes ago. Um, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. I think what Hosea is reminding us of is that we are in a spiritual battle. So when we hear about something that we go, that's crazy, maybe actually the phrase we were looking for is, that's evil, or that's wrong. Hosea, he's going, he's going, look, this spirit, this spirit that is driving you to other gods is hindering you, which is so interesting. They do not permit them to return to their God. So there's times when you're like, gosh, I just, why do I keep feeling like I'm not like coming back to the Lord in a genuine way? Or you look at our culture around us and you're like, what is it? What is this weird rule or this feeling that we're feeling where we can't turn to God, where we can't cut through with logical arguments anymore? We can't th cut through uh, with the things that have always worked. And we're like, wow, it seems like this, this culture is hindered from coming back to God. It doesn't just feel like that. It is like that. That is the reality that we're living in because we are in a spiritual battle. We're not in a physical battle. There's a spiritual battle in front of us. And Hosea is reminding us of that. So can a culture be possessed? If you remember uh, Matthew chapter 12, when, when uh, Jesus is talking about the unclean spirit leaving somebody, and when it goes out into the wilderness, uh, the person cleans up the house, you know, he's using all this metaphor for the soul. And as it goes out, uh, he, he finds the place clean and swept and invites a bunch of friends with him. And he says, the latter state is worse than the former state. But he says an interesting phrase. Jesus says, and so shall it be with this generation. So shall it be with this generation. So can a culture have a demon possession? The answer is yes. I know that's not an applause line for the room. And it's like, yeah, I tried. I get it, you know. But yes, Absolutely. And I think if we don't understand what we're up against, we, then the times don't make any sense, you know? But if we understand what we're up against, we go, oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> of course the enemy's gonna do that. And of course the enemy's gonna bring this. And of course this lie is gonna come into our culture. And it leads to, really, I mean, in Hosea, um, how do I wanna say this? <laughs> it's funny, I was, I was like kind of confessing to the team. I said, when I was reading Hosea, what I really wanted Hosea to say, and this sounds so terrible that I wanted the word of God to say something, but I, I, this was as I was reading it. I'm like, I wanted Hosea to say, look, you have gone astray. You're going after other gods. Here's a warning for you. And the natural consequences of what you're doing as a culture are going to lead you to this really dark, really bad place. I really wanted Hosea to say that. What Hosea actually says is, you've been giving your life over to other gods. You've been pursuing other gods. And I am bringing judgment against you. The Lord is bringing the judgment. And this is the last thing in this culture. God is warning that judgment is on the way and sober thinking is required. He says this, he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. So this is where, again, the priesthood is not even looking at the reality of the situation. Um, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Now, I'm going to get to good news. I know that you're like, Ryan, 
Good heavens, like I'm hungry for lunch. Like why are you, I, I get it, I know. Hosea is kind of intense. There is good news, I promise you. But you don't understand the depths of the good news until you understand the depths of the bad news, right? You don't understand that this is actually beautiful and merciful for God if you don't understand what we deserve, where we've been, or what's going on. And God is saying this, look, judgment is coming. And it's not just gonna affect you, it's gonna affect your children. It's gonna affect generations. Does God judge nations? Yes, he does. In, in John chapter five, Jesus talks about this. In a new, you know, new, uh, uh, new Testament paradigm, Jesus reminds us he does judge the nations. He's been given that authority. God does judge the nations and he's done it in the past and he will do it in the future. That does happen. But even though the people of God were unfaithful. Here's the good news. Ephraim's unfaithfulness and recalcitrance are not enough to exhaust God's redeeming love. This is in the background of this book. I haven't even gotten into the book yet, if you've noticed. Like, I have, but I, I, everyone's like, probably in the room that's familiar, is like, why haven't you mentioned Gomer and the prostitute? I'm, you know, I, I'm gonna get there. Um, but the background is so important. It's kind of like Galatians, like get yourself in that room, rem like remind yourself what it feels like. I think honestly, we don't have to stretch our mind or imagination too far to understand the kind of people that Hosea is speaking to. And in the midst of that, what's so unique about Hosea, Hosea is writing in a very similar time as Isaiah and Joel and some of these prophets that we're very familiar with. What's so unique about Hosea is that he's not just issuing these words, these prophetic words of this is what's coming and this is what you've got to do, but he uses the life of Hosea to actually show how he feels and the, the mercy that he's extending to his people. And if you remember in Galatians, we are in that family, right? We've been grafted into the family of Israel. We are in that family. So the promises, the things that are given to Israel are for us as well. But the one thing that's the backdrop of all of this book is this one very simple thing that in our culture, I think we have really gotten wrong, and that is marriage. If you don't understand the covenant of marriage, you will not understand Hosea. You really won't. If you don't understand the depths of marriage, and the understanding that marriage is far deeper than, I said this last service, I'll just say it again. Marriage is not two people really love each other and want to spend the rest of their life together. That is not marriage. You have to like erase that part of your brain that culture's told you, if you really love somebody and you want to spend the rest of your life together, that is what marriage is. That may be the beginning of marriage, but that is not what marriage is. Marriage is a covenant in agreement between two people, for better or for worse, sickness or poor. Like we say the words, but our culture doesn't real, still understand the gravity of it. This, the, the, the value of marriage is not just that you love each other, spend the rest of your life together. God uses marriage, unlike any other thing in mankind, to explain his relationship with his people. From Genesis to Revelation, David last week was talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. In, in Genesis, we've got the marriage of Adam and Eve. Like there is something about marriage that is so important in understanding the covenant and why it's such a big deal that it's broken. 
Paul in Ephesians says, the mystery of this marriage represents the relationship between Christ and the church. If you think marriage is just if you love somebody, you spend the rest of your life together with them, you will not understand the gravity of what Hosea is saying in here. Because God is going, look, if you understand the weight of marriage, if you understand the weight of the commitment that you're committing to one another, then you will know and get a small taste of my relationship with you, my relationship with the people. This is what God chooses to show us the love and mercy of God. And Hosea is so like in your face with it. And he goes, look, Hosea, you are married to a woman who is breaking her covenant with you. And it's a lot like how I feel when I look at my people and they're breaking covenant with me. You see what I'm saying? If, if you don't understand marriage, you won't understand Hosea. Now I'll say, if, you know, if people in this room, you've gone through divorce, chances are most of you have been touched by divorce in some way. Um, there is forgiveness in the Lord. It's not a condemnation. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. But it's just understanding the weight of the covenant that you're taking. I was just in Virginia with my, my family, and um, my, my grandma and grandpa, they've, they've both passed at this point. But um, when my dad was pretty young, he was in junior high, um, my grandpa left my grandma. And um, they had six boys, which is wild. I mean, six, I can't imagine that. Six boys, uh, they're all young, uh, and in a matter of moments, all of a sudden, my grandpa has left, and my grandma is left with six boys. And the love of these boys toward their mom was just fierce. I mean, it still is. Like, they just, they talk so much about the weight that she carried for them and everything else. And some of the stories, oh my goodness, like 1970s, you know, rural Virginia having six boys with no parents watching them. I'm shocked they all lived. Like, really, I'm shocked that they all survived. But um, me and my uncle were talking, and he said, you know, I don't think we all fully realized how affected we were by that. And the more we started think, thinking about it and talking about it, the more we realized that divorce affected the way that they looked at, at relationships. And some of them had a hard time with kids and relationships because of that. And then that leaks down to the next generation. And we were talking about how it affected us, you know. And, um, and there is something about marriage. It's not just that you broke off a relationship. There's something about it that is so powerful and meaningful and so beyond what I could ever say up here in terms of words, but it is grounded in the idea that it represents something so much bigger than just us. It represents the relationship between Christ and the church. So Hosea, let's get into the book. I'm sorry, I'm not gonna go super long, I promise. Um, Hosea, as you come into this story, God goes, hey, marry this woman, Gomer, which is a terrible name. I think of Gomer Pyle. Um, <laughs> go marry Gomer. Um, <clears throat> and, and it's not real clear. When you go through the text, he says, go, go to the land of whoredom. Again, W-H-O-R-E-D-O-M. Um, and you start to see throughout the book that he refers to the northern kingdom as that generally. So it's not real clear that uh, Gomer was a, a prostitute before they got married. She may, may have been. Uh, but it's very clear that she goes into it after they get married. So God says, go, go marry Gomer and have three kids. First kids named Jezreel, which generally means judgment. There's a little bit more specifics uh, to that, but there is a judgment that God is issuing. Kid number two is named No Mercy, 
That poor kid. That poor kid. No mercy. And that third kid is not a better name. Not my people. Um, not my people. Uh, yeah, these, the kindergarten was not fun for these kids. Um, and these three, these three kids, he, God is using the entire life of Hosea. This is where it's so unique. He's using the entire life of Hosea to communicate God's relationship with his people. He's using marriage and family to represent that. And at some point in the marriage, after they have three kids, Gomer goes back to prostitution or to prostitution for the first time, one of the two. And he leaves, she leaves the family, deeply embarrassing Hosea, right? Like shamefully embarrassing him in this culture. And God says, I want you to go back to Gomer. Not because she's super repentant and she's on her knees going, please take me back. He's like, no, I need you to go chase after her. And not only that, I want you to pay off her lovers. Like I want you to give these men that she's cheating on you with gifts and then bring her back into the family. And God's point is this, the pain that you feel in doing that, Hosea, is the pain that I feel when my people leave me and they walk away and they build idols in their heart and they start serving other gods. That's how I feel. And this is a very guttural sort of thing. Like God takes, <coughs> takes Hosea all the way through. Like the, the intimations in that is like going back to uh, Exodus 20 when, when, uh, when the Ten Commandments are given and, and the first uh, covenant is made with God. And as Moses is coming down, they have built a golden calf. Like it didn't even last 10 minutes with this new covenant. Like they come, Moses comes down and they've already broken it. And God's like, time and time again, I've chased after my people who are going after other lovers, other people that they are loving more than me. And I am going to them because of my loving kindness, because of my steadfast love. He says this right in the beginning of Hosea. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. Really intimating at the coming of Jesus with this one. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Hosea is this very stark warning for the people of God coupled with the love of the Father that doesn't make any sense and that chases after us when we didn't deserve it. The end of Hosea is just beautiful. I, I warned you, I'm going to be bouncing all over the place. Um, the end of Hosea, chapter 11, is this beautiful chapter. Like, after all these warnings, he's going, look, and it's true, right? He's giving a warning saying, Assyria, like, you are about to lose the northern kingdom, and it's true. Assyria is about to, within months, maybe a year after this book is done, they're going to come conquer the northern kingdom. God says, look, the judgment is coming, but let me tell you, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you yet. I have good things for you. And he says this, like you feel the tension of God in Hosea, unlike any other book really that I've read. But he says this, I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. This is like throughout the whole history of Israel. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and I fed them. 
In verse eight, he says this, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. The tension that God feels between the judgment he knows he needs to bring and the compassion and the long suffering and the, I just wish you would turn sort of nature of God. You just feel these tensions. You feel the tension and God's like, I just want you to come back to me. That's all, I just, I want you to come back to me. Judgment is coming, but that's not the point. Like I am, I'm the righteous judge. I, I have to do this. I've slowed this down as much as I can. But you need to know that whatever you're about to go through is to, to better you. Whatever you're about to go through will just remind you that I am the reliable one. Not the Baals or the other gods of the Canaanites. Not your big savings account. None of those things will save you. Only Jesus. Only connection with God. And if I were to sum up Hosea, if I felt like, uh, if you remember in Galatians, I talked about the cheat code for Galatians. I think the cheat code for Hosea is this. Hosea chapter 6, starting in verse 1. If I were to sum up the whole book, all the ebbs and flows, all the things that are God's heart, I, I would say it like this. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up again. That sounds familiar. Jesus was quoting Hosea when he said that. On the third day, he will raise us up again. That we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. God's going, I know you've been chasing other gods and you're hurting. I know you're chasing other gods and you're feeling dry. I know you're chasing other gods and you're afraid. And he's going, just come back to me in a real way, in a real way, not a faux leather way, in a real way, come back to me. Not because you're losing the things that gave you comfort, not because you're losing the things that you've woven your identity into. Relinquish those to me and come back to me in a genuine way. And I will give you the reins for your soul. I will give you the peace you're looking after. I will give you the grace that you've been hungry for. And I love in, that, in, that, in those verses, the prophecy about Jesus is so clear. He's going, look, you've broken the old covenant time and time again, but I'm gonna build a new covenant with you. That doesn't depend on your willpower to just continue to do the right thing. It doesn't depend <clears throat> on the culture, always doing the right thing. God's going, I know that's not working. So I'm gonna write my law on your heart through the Holy Spirit and a brand new covenant paid by the blood of my son. This is what Hosea is bringing us into. As a team we were talking about, we were like, you know, we should do something in this season and we all felt like, you know what we should do is we should take communion. Every Sunday we're talking about Hosea. Why? Because it reminds us of the covenant that God came and gave us through Jesus. It reminds us of the new covenant that's better. 
It reminds us that Jesus is written in Hosea and the longing of the Lord is him going, I just want connection with my people and I'll do anything to get connection with you. Even if it means the death of my son, I will do it. I want to take a minute and just between you and the Lord, we're going to take communion together in just a minute. Between you and the Lord, I think collectively, this is what I feel like Hosea is saying to us. The reminder is this, we are Gomer. All the judgment we could give to all the other people, we have to come back to this reality. We are Gomer. We're the unfaithful wife. We're the, we're the people that have been unfaithful to the Lord. And God, because of his steadfast love and commitment to us, he is greater than our Gomerness. I don't know how else to say it. I know that's a lame way to say that. He is greater than us being a Gomer. I want you to ask a couple of things, just between you and the Lord, and we will take communion together. But I want you to ask him, what is hindering me from coming back to you, Lord, in a new way? And it doesn't mean that all of us are wayward, but all of us could dive deeper into the Lord and just to ask, what's hindering me? What's blocking me? What false God have I let get into my heart? Maybe even just this week, maybe even in the last hour. And I want you to surrender that to the Lord. We're gonna take two minutes, just between you and the Lord, a little quiet time and for, for you to listen to him. the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the wine and he said, this represents the blood of the new covenant which I am spilling for you. Take in remembrance of me. Let's all stand up.